This morning, we are continuing on in the fifth sermon of our Clothed in Christ uh, sermon series for the summer. And I think actually this summer, it's going to, uh, this summer, this Sunday, it's going to be easier for you rather than opening up your Bibles to each one of the passages to simply follow along with me uh, as the passages are printed in your bulletin. Because this morning I'm going to be reading several uh, passages from several places in the New Testament. Uh, today marks something of a turning point in this series. I'll explain more about that in the sermon itself. But you'll be able to see that turning point kind of reflected, I think, in the scripture passages that are before us today as we continue to talk about clothing and putting off and on uh, clothing. It's also, this, this turning point is reflected in the title of the sermon, sermon today, which is this, having been clothed, clothe yourselves. Okay, now listen to these portions of the Word of God and how they reflect that theme and that transition in what we've been talking about thus far. So beginning this morning then from the Gospel of Luke, uh, this is chapter 24 of Luke. It's the chapter of the resurrection. This is getting right towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus is addressing his disciples and says to them, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then we'll pick up with Paul writing to the Colossians in uh, Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then to Paul writing to the Romans in chapter 13, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And finally, a, a, a selection from Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, described in this way. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that is the church, we, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We delight in it. We thank you for the truth that it reveals through the illuminating work of your Holy Spirit within our lives. 
and this morning, particularly as we have a number of passages that are before us, we pray that you would help me as the pastor to handle them well, and for all of us, self-included, to see it clearly, to understand the message that you have for us from your word. Grant to us uh, eyes then that see, a heart that would believe, and hands that would seek to do and obey what we find here, to put on Jesus Christ. Help us today to do that. In his name we pray. Amen. In his commentary on the book of Romans, F.F. Bruce, who is a noted evangelical scholar, says that the practical teaching of the early church was oftentimes arranged around key catchwords or catch concepts, phrases, and the reason you would do that is for ease of memorization. You could say a lot as long as you had a word or two that would communicate an idea and everybody would understand what you were talking about. And one of those catch words or catch concepts that's used, as we see in the passages before us today, throughout the Bible and throughout the New Testament is this idea of putting on. Okay, so putting on, of course, is the idea of, this, that's the word you use for clothes. You're putting on clothes or uh, the, the, the scriptures in English translate it put off. We would say more commonly take off. So you take off, you put on clothes. Clothing in general is a reference point for the people of God, just like it is becoming for us this summer, a way to talk about a lot by using an illustration, a metaphor, an analogy that all of us can uh, get. We can all understand this because, the, right, the point is simple. The point is simple. We all do this every day. We, we get the metaphor. It doesn't take any work for anybody to understand what it means to either put on or take off clothes or do it again. Now, of course, by uh, focusing on it for the entire summer, we're pressing the analogy a little bit. Um, and of course, as happens with all analogies, you know this, they, they break down at some point. But nevertheless, it is, I, I hope, helpful for us as it was helpful for the early church in terms of comprehending things, pulling them together, helping us to understand the New Testament teaching about Christ and the life of Christ. That said, let me ask you a question. Do any of you remember a show, a TV show, it's been off the air for about five years now, named uh, What Not to Wear? Anybody ever see that show, What Not to Wear? Did anybody ever have a copy of the book, What Not to Wear? I, I don't know what came first. I don't know if the TV show came first or if uh, the book came first. I believe I saw copies of that book floating around in our apartment or somebody's apartment in Ukraine uh, over the course of the years. What Not to Wear? So let's assume for a moment, uh, by many of the blank stares, some of you smiling, some of you staring blankly, um, uh, let's assume that you don't know what that show was, and I'll explain to you the premise of uh, What Not to Wear. So basically, this was a TV series that ran for about 10 years, and the idea was this. You had a person who was a, a completely awful, lost cause, horrible, inappropriate dresser. And someone around them, or some ones around them, would recognize that this person is a hopeless case when it comes to dressing. It might be friends, it might be colleagues at work, it was oftentimes family members. 
a spouse uh, who's just kind of looking for someone to help in this situation, uh, or it might be children who are embarrassed by the way mom or dad dress. But they would write to this show, and, and the idea was then that two fashion experts would come in and they would confront the person who was the horrible dresser, and they would just be brutal in the assessment of the wardrobe. And it was kind of this agreement kind of thing where you had to, as the person who was the, we'll, we'll say, the, the poor dresser, uh, would have to agree to this fashion makeover, uh, we'll call it. And what it involved was, and I, I don't remember the details of this, and I didn't want to read all the details of it online, uh, but it, what it would involve is some way of kind of getting rid of the entire old wardrobe. I can't remember if you were able to keep a piece or two, but essentially that had to go. It had to be burned. It had to be gotten rid of, and you had to agree to that. And then there would be a period of teaching, training, uh, trying to help a person to see what suited them. I don't know, what, what colors went with their colors, uh, what style of clothing complemented their figure, uh, or, or what was good or bad given the role that they had in society. Maybe they were a mom, maybe they were a teacher, maybe they worked uh, in some office. How should you dress was the question, and they would try to train the person in how to dress better or at least more appropriately. Now, of course, it was absurd and it was extreme because that's what makes good television. Uh, but hold it in mind, at least hold the idea of it in mind for just a moment. Because in this series, to this point, what we have seen is the absolute necessity of a divine fashion intervention using it as an analogy here, using the metaphor as it is used in Scripture. We see the necessity of divine intervention for our fig leaf, filthy rag, dragon-esque clothing. Someone has to come in and do something about it. We are fashion disasters. And we barely can realize that we are fashion disasters, and we certainly can't do anything about it. If we were given money as a fashion disaster without any teaching, without any power to go out to the store, we would buy the same disastrous clothing over and over again. It's a metaphor. Okay, we're not talking about actual clothing here. God must strip us. God must clothe us. God clothes us in nothing less than his son. And Jesus Christ, through his spirit, removes from us the garments of mourning, the garments of sackcloth, and he clothes us instead with gladness. Jesus gets rid of the filthy garments in which we are naturally clothed, and he clothes us in righteousness, his righteousness. He clothes us in salvation, his salvation. That's what we've been saying in this series up to this point. And the final component of this, if you will, earthly makeover, and, and when I say the final component of it, I, I'm not talking about glory here for a moment. I want to leave glory actually to the last sermon in this series, although we'll take a, a peek at it today as well. But 
but I want to look at the last element that we have in the scriptures pertaining to the transformation that goes on in our lives right now, and that's the passage in Luke where we read, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It's given to the disciples. It's given to the disciples who have been entrusted with a mission from the Lord. The mission that they have is to go and to declare unto all the world they've got a work to be done, to go to declare this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that context, Jesus says to them, in order to do that which I've called you to do, this work, that mission, you need to wait till you are clothed with the Spirit of God, with the power from on high. And I say the Spirit of God, that's just them putting it together with the book of Acts and putting it together with Pentecost. The coming of the Spirit of God is the clothing with power of which Jesus spoke here at the end of Luke. And the point is clear to us. We cannot be transformed in our own strength and neither we nor they, the apostles, the disciples, the early followers of Christ, can minister in our own strength. We must receive from the ascended Jesus the clothing of the spirit of power. And he says, that's what I'm going to give you. When I ascend, I will be given the authority to clothe you as I have been clothed for the mission that I had. As we are clothed that, will clothed, that will be transformational. It will be an amplification, an intensification, a democratization of the giving out of the Spirit of God to the people of God so that we are equipped to do what God has called us to do. And it requires this of the disciples. What, what is the requirement for the disciples? Stay and wait. Stay and wait. The Son is giving us His Spirit, the Spirit by whom He was anointed. Jesus was anointed with the Spirit at His baptism, if you will. He was clothed with the Spirit at His baptism for the ministry, and now the Spirit is being given to us for ours. In this final act of the earthly transformation, of the earthly intervention, what we observe is that God is essentially active. And we, the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, are essentially passive when it comes to this makeover about which we have been speaking now for the last four weeks. It is a fundamental fashion intervention. And the only question that comes to us is, are you willing to receive it? You cannot do it. You cannot take the dragon skin off of yourself. You cannot find the clothe yourselves. Will you receive that which only I can give to you? I will strip you. I will wash you clean. 
I will clothe you. I will undragon you. I will reboy you. I will regirl you. I will take away the old and I will give you the new, or to use the verses that are on the front of your bulletin this morning, I will take away the heart of stone and I will put instead within you by the working of my spirit a heart of flesh and I will transform you and I will empower you to love, to serve, to obey, to do the things that I have told you to do, receive it. Receive. I must do it. You cannot do it. Receive. Period. That has been the theme of this sermon series all the way to this point and through the first third of this sermon. God is doing something for us which we cannot do on our own, and the last step of that is he is clothing us with the spirit of power. And then a change begins to take place in the metaphor. Having been clothed by God the Father, having been clothed in Christ, having been clothed by Christ with the Holy Spirit, something shifts. Something shifts in this metaphor. The passive shifts to the active. What has been done to us becomes something that is required of us. Now, earlier in this sermon series, we talked about the idea of investiture. And investiture is this, this idea of when a person has risen to a particular rank or earned a certain office, they are symbolically shown to have reached that stage by being clothed, by having a robe or something symbolic placed upon them. In olden days, we would have thought of it with someone ascending to the throne, and we talked about other aspects of it that we could see historically, perhaps in our day. It's easiest to imagine that being a graduation or a judge coming into the role of serving as judge in which the gown is put on, or if it's a PhD, the hooding takes place, maybe certain sashes are applied to the gown itself. Investiture is the act, it's the honoring act, the recognition that someone has now entered into a particular status, a particular office that they have. But of course, the point is simply this. The work doesn't end with investiture. The work begins with investiture, right? That's the way this works. There's an ending, perhaps, of the time of training, of the time of being humiliated in school because you didn't know something. There's an end that takes place, but the work itself is something that is just beginning. Imagine that somebody got a PhD. Imagine that somebody you knew worked really hard for years and years on a PhD, and you went to the ceremony because you wanted to honor them, you wanted to appreciate what they had done. They get their robe, they get their sashes, they get their hooding for having achieved this uh, level of academic work, and you come back and you see them in a year. And you find them in a year sitting in front of a screen still with their gowns on, still with their sashes and their hoods there, and they're sitting in front of a screen playing Fortnite. You would say, what are you doing? 
What, what are you doing? You are wasting that which has been given to you, that which have, has been entrusted to you. This investiture means you should be working, you should be doing whatever it is you have trained to do. Your shame has been removed, the honor has been given, and now the dignity is found in the exercise of the office, not only in the office itself. Our dignity as image bearers of God is both in who we are, but in what we've been given to do as his image bearers. You can't separate those two things. That's part of being the image bearer of God is, let's do what God does. Let's do what God at least has entrusted for us to do in this world. Now, going back to the show for a moment, what not to wear. The hope was not only to get someone to be dressed up nicer for one day. That can be done, right? It could be a wedding day. It could be something special where you would get someone, you know, all dialed up and all made up and all redone for one particular day for one particular event. That was not the hope of the show. The hope of the show, besides being to make money, okay, that, the hope of the show was to make money, but let's, let's give it its best spin here for a moment and say the hope of the show was that you would actually train someone to learn how to dress appropriately, how to dress well for the calling that they had, the gifts that they had been given, the work that they had to do. That was the idea, at least, of the show. Whether it worked or not, I have no idea. But that was at least what they wanted to see happen because, as it turns out, getting dressed isn't something that we do one time and then never do it again. We do it all the time. We do it every single day. Think for a moment, how many times will you get dressed and undressed today? Just today. Okay, uh, pastoral example here. Get up in the morning, I throw on some clothes that are just comfortable clothes. I go into my office early, begin to work while all of you are asleep and praying, get ready for uh, the service. And then at some point, I take a shower, and I get out of the shower, and I put on the suit. I put on this for coming in, for honoring the Lord, for representing the Lord, and serving his people. Within three minutes of walking in the door, getting home, now many of you have come over to lunch, within two to three minutes, this will be off. And more comfortable clothes will be on. i got a grill this afternoon, so these will be off. More comfortable clothes will be on. Come 5.15, these will come back on. Uh, the other clothes will go off. Come 7.30, whatever. Whenever I get back from evening service, then these go off, then the other clothes come on. Now, I don't know how many times that is in a day just for me alone, but if you have a schedule that's any kind of similar to that, you might be the exact same way. I don't want to talk about how many times that is. But the point is this. Getting dressed and undressed is something that we do all the time, every day, not just once. Now, look with me then at this passage here, Colossians 3, 9 through 12, because in that passage, Paul is describing our spiritual transformation with exactly this same kind of metaphor, with exactly this idea. He's given to the people in this section a number of uh, ethical teachings, virtues that they should pursue or uh, sins that they need to put off as the people of God. And he provides the foundation for all of that in verses 9 and 10 where he says, 
you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. And what Paul is referencing here at this particular point is saying that you have, you have stripped off this old body of flesh and you have now been clothed. This is the fundamental intervention that has taken place in their lives. It's the work of God, of grace, through the gospel. It is the work by which a person moves from the kingdom of darkness and is transferred into the glorious kingdom of light. It is the transformational work by which the filthy rags are changed into the clothing of righteousness. It is the definitive act of God to which Paul is referring in this passage. But what he says then is now, now in recognition of what has taken place in your life, in, in recognition of the dignity of the investiture that you have received, in light of the fact that you are new and you're being renewed, in the image of your creator, who is Christ, in light of how you were created, you were created as image bearers, crowned with glory and honor. In light of how you were redeemed, you were clothed in Christ. In light of how you were given power through the working of the Holy Spirit into your life, in light of where you are heading, you're heading towards the marriage feast of the Lamb. In light of all of that, Put off and put on. Take off and put on. In light of what has been done to you by God, and what has been done to you by God is a stripping, washing, and a clothing. In light of that, go do it. Put off and put on. Just to take verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on these things. It becomes active. It becomes a command. And Paul then, by, by writing in this way, is adopting the same kind of thing that we see in Isaiah 52. He's adopting the idea and the language that comes from the Old Testament because the Old Testament puts it exactly the same way. Awake, Awake, what do you do when you wake up? Well, you put on stuff when you wake up. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Loose the bonds from your neck. Hey, you've been like one who was in captivity. You've been in sackcloth. You've been in ashes. Symbolically, you've got chains around your neck. Take those off. I've delivered you. I've, I've, I've brought you out of that darkness. I've brought you out of that captivity. Now, for Pete's sake, take the old stuff off. Don't leave it on. Put on the beautiful garments that I have prepared for you. This is the language of hope. It is the language of liberation. Liberation from sin, liberation from death, liberation from sensuality, liberation from evil practices. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 13 in the verse that's not the verse preceding the one that's in your bulletin. It says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in 
orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And here Paul takes it to the height. He doesn't only say, put on compassionate hearts. What he says is, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on Christ. Having had Christ put on you, put on Christ himself. That which is given, being clothed in Christ, becomes that which is commanded for life and for liberty. There was a man years ago who found himself chained by the kind of desires that Paul addresses that I just read for you that sounded so extreme in Romans 13. He said, a harsh bondage held me under restraint. And he says of his will, of his passions, of his habit, that he could not get rid of them. But God got hold of him. He, said, he writes this, you took me up from behind my own back where I had placed myself because I did not wish to observe myself. And you set me before my face so that I should see how vile I was, how twisted and filthy, covered in sores and ulcers. And I looked and I was appalled, but there was no way of escaping from myself. I tried to hide behind myself. You brought me in front of myself. You made me look at myself. And yet he couldn't figure out a way out of this. And in his struggle, he cries out to a friend, what is wrong with us? What is this that you've heard? Uneducated people are rising up and capturing heaven, and we, with our high culture, without any heart, see where we roll in the mud of flesh and blood. How long, how long, O oh Lord, how long, he cried out, do I have to wait for deliverance from bondage to this immorality that has got me locked in? As I was saying this and weeping in bitter agony of my heart, suddenly I heard a voice from a nearby house chanting as if it might be a boy or a girl, I do not know which, saying and repeating over and over again, pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read. At once my countenance changed and I began to think intently whether there might be some sort of children's game in which such a chant is used, but I could not remember having heard of one. I checked the flood of tears and stood up. I interpreted it solely as a divine command to me to open the book and read the first chapter that I might find. So I hurried back to the place where my friend was sitting. There I had put down the book of the apostle when I got up. I seized it, opened it, and in silence read the first passage on which my eyes lit. Not in riots and drunken parties or in eroticism, and indecencies, not in strife and in rivalry, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in its lusts. I neither wished nor needed to read further. At once, with the last words of this sentence, it was as if a light of relief from all anxiety flooded into my heart, all of the shadows of doubt were dispelled. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Having been clothed in Christ, 
that man saw the liberation from the sin and the bondage which held him by the command, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus was the salvation of Augustine, who set the church on a course for millennia to come after him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, and I'll be very brief in commenting on it, but I have to read for us this marriage supper of the Lamb. And of course, Jesus the Lamb, we the bridegroom, or Jesus the Lamb, the bridegroom, we being the bride who is here, we read in Revelation 19, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready, which if we stopped right there begs the question, how did the bride get ready for the wedding feast of the Lamb? It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, when I hear that last line, it's the righteous deeds of the saints, that to me is surprising. Frankly, that to me is shocking. In my Bible, the way it lays out is that's on the next page. Okay, that last line is on the next page. If I didn't know how it ended, I would have thought that it would have sounded something like this. For, for the fine linen is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, imputed to us and received by faith alone. That's what I would have expected. I would have expected, that's the language of the Shorter Catechism, by the way, I would have expected it to say something like, the, the righteous linen comes from Jesus it's his justification of you by faith, but it doesn't say that. What it says to us, and we need to feel this in, in all of its dignity, in all of its worth, in all of the way it says, listen, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, and therefore you clothe yourselves, prepare yourselves, in one respect, for the wedding feast of the Lamb through the righteous deeds that we do. We're talking about the sanctification, the growth into Christ-likeness here. And we must clothe ourselves by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit in whom we have been clothed. We must clothe ourselves in the character of Christ. We clothe ourselves in righteous deed, deeds, we clothe ourselves in good works, we clothe ourselves in the doing of that which is good. The spiritual fashion intervention has taken place. The designers, if you will, have come in, they have chucked out our old wardrobe, they have given us a new wardrobe, and now we walk. Now, this is where, by the way, the analogy breaks down because fashion designers didn't stay with the people for the rest of their lives to tell them what to wear, whereas Jesus and the Holy Spirit do. They do remain with us. They do continue to empower. But they bid us, as those who have received this clothing, now put it on. Engage in the process daily of putting off 
that which no longer suits you, that which no longer fits you, no longer is appropriate for you, that which looks ridiculous on you because it is not who you are, and put on this. Put on this, the clothing of Jesus Christ. Now, we'll explore in the weeks to come just a couple of examples of that putting on to which we are called. But for now, we've got to hold both of these, and we've got to hold them in the order that I've presented them to us because that is the crucial order. And it is this, having been clothed, having been clothed by God with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, having been clothed, Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what that means, and we pray that you would help us to apply it rightly in our lives. We pray that you would help us never to pursue virtue, excellencies, good works as ends in and of themselves, but as gifts that are given by you, as a grace that has been given by you that we might walk in them unto your glory. Help us to think about it, Lord. Help us to reflect on these things as your people. Help us to remember them as we, like the early church, get a catchword, a catchphrase, a catch idea that helps us to think about how we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.